Hello there, and welcome to our podcast, Conversations in Noosa. My name's John Caruso. Now, unless you've served or you're part of a family that has members who have served in the military in an active war zone, then your everyday life is very, very different to the life that my next guest has led. He was a commando in the Australian Army, intercepting enemy communications, performing two tours of duty in Afghanistan, one in 2007, and again in 2009 when one of the vehicles he was travelling in ran over a roadside bomb. In this podcast, Andy Fermo speaks openly and honestly about his military career, his PTSD, and what life is like living in Noosa these days with his wife Claire and his two kids. I grew up in Perth. So I uh, actually I grew up on in mining towns. My dad was in the mining industry, so my child was was spent traveling around Australia to different towns. It was before fly in and fly out. And so we we lived in all the outback towns in the 80s and then we moved to Perth uh, to when I was just about to start high school, so I suppose that's really where I where I grew up. Yeah. There. You have siblings? I do. I've got a, my sister and my brother, so I'm the eldest. I always hear um, yeah. stories about um, kids like yourself and families like like the one that you were part of that move around a lot. Is it was it difficult? Difficult making friends, new schools, all that kind of stuff when you travel around so much. I think it's mainly the idea that we have to move, and when you've made friends, you go, oh, I don't want to miss them. But I think kids are quite resilient as well, so you can adapt pretty quickly when you have to. And um, where we were moving, there was only just a, a handful of kids there, so you make friends pretty quickly and you get to do your thing. So um, unlike sort of today where there's so much security as to what kids would do, we'd be out there out in the bush riding our bikes and, and doing a lot of fun stuff exploring. So that was, I was really um, blessed to sort of have that and, and have that sort of childhood because I saw a lot of Australia of different parts that a lot of other people don't see. And you have to make your own fun. So yeah. that sort of, I suppose, instilled some of the other things there to be able to, you know, go and meet different people and, and be a little bit more comfortable around that. I think it's just more about trying to trying to break the ice there so that you might have a, a new kid, you're always a little bit nervous and, and sort of I'd sort of take everything in and then try and make something funny out of something that was said. And at least then if you have a little bit of a laugh or try and find some common ground there to be able to do it. And, and for me, and in, in the Outback, it was about riding BMX bikes and, okay, where's the coolest place to go? And, and you know, where, and then it'd be, it'd be like these kids, yeah. are, we're building a track out the back of the school here. Did you want to come along? And um, so that was the, the skill there to be able to do it, to break the ice, be able to say, well, look, I'm open to being able to do some activities. So I'm making a positive step to, to get to know you. And if it was, well, you know, the rest is history. Can I ask about the, the origin of your surname? Fermo, I've been told it's, it's Italian. Is it? it well, so I'm, oh. I'm, I'm Filipino. It, it, fermo, apparently it means stop in Italian. And then we've also, there was a lot of Spanish colonization in the Philippines as well. So I know where my, my background and heritage is, uh, but living here and, and being in the mining game and, and, and all that, my, my parents didn't go back to the Philippines as much as quite expensive to, to, go, to go back to the Philippines. So we'd bring Lola and Lola out. Every, every couple of years and then mum and dad would go back there as well when they could but to, to cart five I know like a family of five across there was quite expensive so we did it so um they've instilled a lot of the culture in me and I understand what they call Taglish so Tagalog is the main language but they would speak bilingually to me and and when my friends would be there you know they'd speak bilingual to them and so they'd be able to pick up half the conversation and so that's where I've learned a lot of the a lot of the things and we, we also had the barcado as well so besides our Australian friends they had their Filipino group that were there and they'd come over and, and you know we'd have the Filipino food and that's where my love for Filipino food comes in you know that's always a bit more of a comfort food for me and so um, I'd like to be able to explore that a little bit more and, and take my young yeah. family there have you been in the back? next couple of years yeah so I, I actually haven't i've been back once in 1988 my uh, i went to a long time ago it was a long time ago so i, I couldn't say that i really remember it yeah but we've still got uh, a fair bit of family there a lot of people have migrated out now to other corners of the world but um you know there's places that we can that we go to and uh family in really beautiful spots like one of them's boracay which i heard is a really you know it's like a hidden gem uh, in the Philippines or in Southeast Asia, that's a nice place to go to. It's it's 
commercialized but not so over the top where you've got the hawkers and all that sort of thing and it's a beautiful spot to be able to go to the water's pristine and you know the philippines has got seven thousand islands so um you can or, or thereabouts and so you can find your own little spot and i think i'd like to be able to explore that one day and, and find that little bit more about my heritage yeah that's in great. that sense it's almost like a, a journey of discovery andy when you were at school uh did you have a what, what do you what did you want to do when you grew up like what was your, do you have a career or a career kind of path or option or something that you thought about and how did you end up in the military and when did that happen uh when i was at school i was more yeah moving around so much it was just more about like we were just talking about before but when i was in high school i what got me was uh, i liked to uh, i got interested in cadets so there was always this thing about the scouts and that when we were in the mining towns, but um, the the school that I went to, uh, going into high school, a, a brand new cadet unit had started. So they were heavily into recruiting some of the younger crew there. And I'm like, well, you know, I'll give this a go. And I liked how they had all these activities and they, they told us that once a year you get to go to this spot and, and you learn how to do your rope climbing and all these little things that were fun and adventurous for me. You know, they didn't have the, the you know, the smartphones and all the other things. I had a Commodore 64, you know, sort of type thing. <laughs> Half the time it wouldn't load up. So, I mean, you know, that was fun doing that. But I was also an outdoorsy kid. So I always liked those types of activities going out and exploring and um so i did that for a few years um it wasn't until i you know discovered my like the surfing and it, like sort of right into high school year, year 10 to 12 yeah. where i just wanted to go out and party and you know party with my mates and go and meet girls and and go surfing and, and yeah. do all these things so i hear that as a common kind of thread people get interested in the, in the military and that kind of service then once they become adults and they, they had the taste for you know having a few drinks and having a party and going and then they put that on the back burner and then is, that's what happened to you and then you came back and yes yeah, so it, it was it was on the it was on the back burner for for, for a couple of years and yeah. i think because one, one of the things was that this particular the cadets was on a friday night and then that's when all the parties were starting to happen, you know, basketball was, was probably big a good in the reason day. for that. Or was on a yeah, Friday yeah, night. yeah, yeah, you know. And <laughs> basketball was big in the nineties, so you know, the part of the party was hanging out at the underpass, and everyone would congregate there, go and watch the game, and then hang out there afterwards, you know. And so I wanted to be part of that. I didn't want to have to cut my hair, so I, there was all these fancy ways that I had to hide my growing hair underneath the the hat. But after a while, I was yeah. like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to cut that away for a couple of years, and then. Um, I found my way back to it um, is that, you know, I, I started uni. Well, I, I didn't actually, I was partying too much from high school and I didn't quite get the grades to get into uni. So I'd have a, a fallback there. So I ended up doing like electronics at TAFE. I was, I was going to TAFE and, and that was something else, you know, it was really important for my parents to, for me to get some sort of like the higher education past that, um, whether it was tertiary or, or, or TAFE or something like that. So I was still trying to discover what I wanted to do. And um, I liked the electronics side of the house. And then um, how I found the army was that I was, I was umming and ahhing about what I was going to do. And I thought, well, I'm just going to maybe do some IT and, and, and join the army at the same time. And it was funny because my brother did cadets, but he ended up joining the army before me. Yeah. And he's, young, he's the youngest. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I always had this thing there. I'm like, oh, he's going away doing this cool stuff, but I'm doing this here. And I was sort of stuck in a, in a rut, so to speak. And um, uni wasn't working out for me. You know, it just wasn't, I just couldn't concentrate enough on that um, at the time. And so when he got back from, from, the, from one of his courses and he was on leave, he was telling us all about it. And I think that- Was he know, excited? Like, what did he tell you about military life? Oh, he just was really excited he about loved the it. lifestyle. He loved it. Yeah. And um, he, he got to meet all new friends and the things that they were doing. And, and, the, and it was just about a really cool lifestyle that you could do. So there were still rules around what it was. But I, I think that what really excited me about it was that there was still a structure- but then you could still all do all these other things. And I'm like, well, like I did cadets as a kid. And um, and I, I was in this rut and I thought, well, I'll, I'll just give it a go and, and try and and try and get into the army. And I, I applied after that because I just saw how much fun he was having and he'd like that lifestyle, you know, he was getting paid. He had this accommodation. Like when you're in, which which we may, may talk about in a minute, is just the, the lifestyle, you know, you, you get your food subsidized and your accommodation, you live in the lines, you're, you're with your friends, you could go to the boozer and have the wet mess there. And, you, and, and it was just a really good 
thing. You know, you had your PT in the morning. So I think it's about that structure. The structure. But you know, you wake up and you go and do some PT in the morning. And you enjoyed that. I, that, I enjoyed that structure. That. And then actually the work as well was really enjoyable. Tell me what year, what era are we talking about? We're talking about 2001. Okay. Yeah, so 2001, just after after the, the Sydney Olympics, you know, I saw that these guys in, in black jumping out of the helicopters. I'm like, oh, what, who are these guys on the TV? And then 2001, I was sort of still, you know, stuck in that rut. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll go in there and see if I could have a crack. The Olympics were in, in the year 2000. And then, of course, we had the September 11 attacks in 2001. Mm. Yes. Was it just before that? It was just before that. So yeah. I'd actually joined in between that time and, and done my recruit training at, at Kapuka. Right. And then so uh, while I was in, I actually only just originally joined as a as a part-time, so the Army Reserves. While I was in, I was enjoying it so much that I could just see the potential of how it was changing my mindset and, 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 and the way that I saw things, you know, and then I was... Ma- the Can you explain that? Can you explain what you mean by that? Uh, well, see, the, the way that when you're recruiting or when they do the recruit school, you go in there as a civilian and you've got your set ways on how you want to do things and you know, I'm going to do it in my way and, and this at this time and everything. Once you get the structure how the program or how it works is it's divided into sort of three big phases. There's the, there's the, obviously the beginning, the middle and the end. And in the beginning you do things because you're, you're scared about what the repercussions would be during the course. You're still learning stuff, but as time goes on, you start in the middle phase, you're doing things half because you're, you're really getting into it now and you, and that, that competition and that you, you, you get a sense of pride and, and you're, 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 um, your self-esteem goes up, you're making mates and your comrades. And so you want to do things, but you're still half, okay, what are the repercussions if I don't want to but do your, But your confidence is yeah, your growing. Your confidence and, is growing. Yeah, right. And then, thanks thanks for that. That's the word I was looking for. And then um, the, the third part is you're doing things because you want to be able to graduate with your crew. You, you, you're in two platoons. You, you've developed that sense of confidence and that competition, friendly competition against them as well. Yeah. So you really want to be able to make your... your your section commander or your, your teacher look good as well because you know it's for them they want to be able to have have kudos down the pub afterwards yeah. there and all that and bragging rights and so then afterwards you're really wanting to do it because you you, you want to do it and that's the way that they trans that it, you sort of transform from that sort of mindset and i really enjoyed that and i thought well i really like the lifestyle here you know i'm waking up in the morning you do your stuff there and yes you the you know you go and make your bed hospital corners go and have your shave and then you stand out the front and, and down the hallway and you get the the big drill sergeant if you've seen the other movie you know and well, he I comes wanted, out i wanted to ask you is it as tough as it's portrayed in a lot of hollywood like full metal jacket and things like that is it as as tough and as brutal as that? I think it, it's all about the perception. But yes, if, if I can sort of paint the picture there for it, because I think everyone's perception about what happens there, you go and you're rushing around in the morning and you've got five minutes to get up, have a shower, make your bed, then be out on the hallway there. In at attention there, so yeah. when when the when the drill sergeant comes out, he comes out hallway eleven. So if you haven't done everything there, and you this is yeah. what tells you to help your mate out. If you're done, you know that was like mate, you're not done. You have got to help the next guy next to you. Yeah, and he'd come out hallway, and I was in Bravo platoon um, eleven. Uh, 11 platoon bravo company and so he'd be hallway 11 so everyone would come out to the hallway and stand at detention yeah. and that's when he'd do his little check and he'd come past and this is exactly like some of those movies yeah where you'd the your heart would be racing and you'd see him coming down he'd come into the room and look you in the eye and then just come straight he'd be you know within you could you could smell the coffee on his breath and see the sweat down his nose it was a hot day, and you're like oh am i gonna eye and he goes are you eyeballing me yeah are you call recruit are you a recruit fomo are you eyeballing me um, yeah. No, no drill sergeant. Oh, and, it looks like. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and you loved all that. I mean, you know, you do that. You, and you enjoy. That you bus. enjoyed that. Yeah, I mean, not at the time. But but I can I I can understand that there are two very clear kind of groups of, of people that you know they, they get into it and they think, um, in in a, not in a fantasy, but but they think about the military in a certain way, and then once they get to that um, training stage, then, then they they have this realization that it's just not for them. Yes. But you were in there, and you loved. I, I love that. Yeah. You, you you love that process. Yeah. I mean, you know, th- those bits there weren't weren't as fun, but then afterwards, as as the time went on, yeah, you got quicker, you got more efficient, you helped your mates. So the thing was, when they'd started, it was always about the scare tactics at first. Yeah. But it's not really about that. What I realized at the end, and and, and throughout my military career, is 
It's about what they call playing the game. So it's just play the game, suck it up. Some people who, who when in, when transfer transitioning from a civilian life to to the military life, is that they no one tells me what to do, and and that sort of mentality as well. They the ones who struggled because it's just about learning to play the game and suck it up at the time, but then afterwards. Um, they'd go in and check the room and then sort of give a comment. But as they, as you progress through the course and you become, they could start to see who you are or you're earning each other's trust or yeah. when they get to know you, they might say some, some smart-ass comment afterwards and you're like, oh, yeah, this is cool. And then so by the end when you graduate, they actually the, that, that hardness lifts from them and they actually treat you more like a mate. Or someone that's already graduated and you've earned your stripes to this point. Yeah. So now I can talk to you like a normal person because you're not just a crude anymore. You're actually yeah. a soldier that still needs to learn their score, core yeah. skills, but you are a soldier now. Yeah. And that's that's the big sense of achievement. And when you see them, uh, that thing lift and the way that they treat you and talk to you yeah. is much different. And it's a much normal, personable tone of voice. Then you go, okay, well, cool. I've, I've gone to this stage. What's next You've for me? You've made it through the other side. Made it through the other side. I want to spend a bit of time on this, if you don't mind. I yeah, mean, absolutely. because and, and because when I got in touch with you and then discovered that you, you had a military career, I had great respect for people that that, that do the kind of job that, that you've done f- for your country. Thank you. So when did the shit get real? Soon after the elation of, of, of graduating, I went down to the School of Signals down at Watsonia in yeah. Melbourne. And um, we'd been there only for a couple of weeks, just getting used to the slight different lifestyle there as opposed to being in a recruit school. That's where you learn your trade craft in different trades. Yeah. And uh, for me, I was waiting to be um, waiting for my, my clearances to come through. And then I was going to be shipped up to um, to Kabbalah in, in Queensland for my, that was a, another arm of, of my trade that I was in, but I was waiting there. And when it became real, it was the middle of the night. And then we had, we had uh, like a warrant officer coming through just yelling and we're like, hold on a second, this isn't hallway 11 again. You know, he's like out into the middle there and he's like, hallway, hallway. And so we're all coming out to the hallway and he was like, okay, cool. And we're like, what the hell, what's going on here? You know, I'm confused. This is the middle of the night. And... Um, he said, we've been attacked. And it's like, hold on a second. Hang on, uh, is this is this while it's unfolding on everybody's TV screens when, or is it? This is when the pl- when the planes, this is as, so plane, as it's happening. As it's happening that night. What kind of instruction though would the Australian military or army okay, have so had at that stage well, anyway? They, they, they didn't know. So basically yeah. the order would have been, and, and this is the hallway 11, he said, something's happened. There's been, there's been, there's been an attack on the, on the on the towers on the twin towers yeah. in the US and the the safe base well which is the the level of alertedness around right. the bases goes from 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 alpha to not sure. to not much to to big it went so from, it's like an automatic okay this happens with this is clearly a terrorist attack yeah. we've elevated this well, level we've of, elevated okay. the level of security here right. it's just like you know you might see the fire danger signs it went from this all the way to the red right. and it wasn't just big you know you Every base needed to be uh, like elevated in its security. Right. So even whoever was there, then they started the, the the front pickets at the gate, and all the all the security happened. So I was like, get your webbing and all this, and we're like, oh, okay, this is happening. We don't really know what's happening, but then you know that because of the increased level of security, everyone was involved in it, and I was like, okay, this. What, is, what were you thinking and feeling at the time? Did you think it was another drill, or did you know it was? Oh yeah, no, my heart was pumping there. I'm like, oh, this is this is this is real, even yeah. though. We're here in Australia, in in Melbourne, the the heightened security on the base. I'm like, well, I'm part of an organisation now that they don't muck around when something like this happens. It's not just going to be news. This is happening now, and even if it's here in Australia on the base, we've got to be able to make sure that that's okay. And you went to Afghanistan. I did. It wasn't until a few years later. So that was 2001. Yes. And then everything's because of the international campaign against terror from 2001, I didn't actually get deployed to Afghanistan until 2007. Wow. I wasn't qualified as a, I hadn't undertaken my initial employment training. So I was, I was qualified as a soldier, as the most basic soldier that's kind of going to come in but then you needed to have all the trimmings put on and you needed to right. learn your trade craft and in my case it was um, electronic warfare in signals so radios and and so i needed to go to my to the training school to do that and uh the, the training for that job 
took a while, you know, you had clearances yeah, right. and everything like that to make sure. And then you, you know, the psychometric testing. And so all the testing and everything needed to be done. And we needed to learn the other basic signaler stuff before you go in. So they do it in chunks where you do your courses. And so it took a few more years and then uh, to get up. So I got posted to Kabbalah in 2002 shortly afterwards. So that was my stint. That was my first stint in, in Melbourne. And then I got posted to Kabbalah to do my tradecraft. And then so that takes another that one took 18 months or nearly two years. And then I was posted to the unit there. So once everything was done, I got posted to, to um, Seven Signals Regiment, which is the EW one in, um, in Kabbalah. I spent the next few years there learning my craft. You mentioned earlier that your brother, your younger brother, was already in the military. Mm. So where was he? Did he go? Was he deployed overseas? He was deployed overseas as well. He where went, did he, he go? He was deployed to um, the Solomon Islands. Right. And then in Iraq as well. He went to Iraq when? What year? Uh, I think that was 2000, 2006. Okay. So around about that same time. The Chilcot Report was an independent inquiry that mm. came out of the UK in about 2015, 2016. Yeah. It proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that there were no weapons of mass destruction mm. in Iraq. There was no link between Saddam Hussein, Iraq, and the 9-11 attacks in New York City and the Pentagon. And yet, Tony Blair, Prime Minister Howard, and George W. Bush sent Aussie troops into Iraq. And I want to understand your take. First of all, your thoughts and, and how you, you feel about that, and especially knowing that there were troops deployed, boots on the ground in Iraq, mm-hmm. Under a kind of a false. Yeah, I mean that that's a that's a really that's a really interesting question. And there, to be able especially to do that. parents who had sons and daughters that mm-hmm. went over there and probably and maybe didn't make it back. Yeah. That how does that sit with you? Well, I think when you when you're in and you and you're, you're doing all this training, a lot of the training, I, I sort of use an analogy of, of with you know the football team that wants to get you know you, you're training you're training for something that's high level all the time. And for me, I was focused on the training and doing what I needed to do um, and, 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 and systems and processes and everything there to be able to, 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 to hone my tradecraft. And we were going away doing all these other things. We could see the stuff on TV. And then, you know, it's sometimes with, with media as well as like, well, don't believe everything that you're hearing. And, sure. and you might have your opinions about it. And you're okay, well, you know, that might be happening and and uh, and uh, and if I'm thinking one thing or feeling I've got like, well that might not make yeah I think yeah. I understand what you're saying you're so entrenched in the in the way you've been trained in the military mindset yeah. that it's kind of it's 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 act without question at that stage yeah yeah to an extent but uh, like you might have the political agenda yeah, yeah, at yeah. the background there and and if, even if it might be challenging or you might be thinking about these things on those political you can't at that second high level, guess you, when you're there you can't second guess but right. you're in, you're you're in an organisation I've made I've made an oath and I've made a promise to yes. myself to be I, able to go I, I, I'm a soldier i'm yeah. going to i've done my training and i actually if, if i get deployed i'm getting deployed because you know th- this here will be, we're here to serve and, and this has been the instructions and i want i want a, I want a guernsey on the team yeah, yeah, yeah. to play the the football grand final you but know? now that you're out andy how do you reconcile that now that you you know it's it's it, an independent inquiry beyond a shadow of yeah. a doubt beyond a sh- how yeah, does yes. that sit with you now so your your brother you mentioned was yes. in a rubber, he didn't go to low six. Mm. But how does that sit with you? How do you feel about that now? Well, I feel about it a little bit differently now, knowing it. I think that's that's where I suppose some of the the you know if uh, like oh, I've got PTSD and you think and we'll about talk some about of, that in a yeah, minute. Yeah. So yeah. some of the, some of the things there is you know that's the 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 moral the moral things that you have to sort of deal with post activity. So you 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 think you have time to think about that. Yeah. Retrospectively. And reflect on it, and 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 have an opinion about what it what it may be, you know. I, and for me, my opinion is okay. Well, that if even if I was doing my part in in it at the time, I didn't make the decisions about where it was for it. So that's the way I try and sort of justify. Like I know that if if you're kind proven, of removed, I've removed from, from, from that from those yeah. political decisions. I'm like, okay, well, that's a bit that's a bit shit there that that happened. You know, yeah. that's happened, and 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 you know, if 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 that happened. That wasn't my decision to make, but at the time, I'm like, oh, if I think about that now, I go, well, maybe that might not be the best decision for them to make, but that wasn't for me to question because that, it, that yeah. you were just playing your role. I was playing in my the role. structure yeah. of, of how it panned yeah. out. So, when did your boots hit the ground in Afghanistan? 07? 2007. Right. Yeah. And where were you based? In uh, Tar- Tarankout. Okay. Yep. And what were your first thoughts when you 
jumped off that plane or out of that when you landed there? Well, yeah. Well, when we, we first got the call, that only there was only one rotation before us that had taken a couple of year break. There was a couple of years gap between uh, the first two rotations. And that's was post-Iraq. And then there was a couple of rotations to Afghanistan and had a couple of years gap between. So there was rotation three and, and there was it was it was quite wild there at the wild. time. Yeah, so there, was, there, was, there, was, there was a lot of contacts and, and gun battles and there was a lot of activity going on there. So me as a soldier and I'd just been qualified as a commando, um, dual qualified. I'm like, okay, cool. Well, I've got all these other skills now with the boys. And I, you know, I don't their trust. And then I also trusted my skills to be able to go and do the job and be qualified uh, in, you know, past everything. And, and they yeah. trusted me to be able to go, well, look, yes, we, we trust you. We're going to award you this. You were elite story. soldier at that stage. Yeah, that was the, that was the top of the game. So uh, yeah. with two commando, yeah, in, in my opinion, it was. For, for me, I was like, wow, I'm I'm here at the top of my game in, 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 a, in my chosen field so i chose to be what they call um dual trade at the time is that i was com- qualified as a commando with all those skill sets but i still retained my primary role which was the the signals side of the yeah. house and for me that was really exciting because um I'd, I'd done that achievement before we get to the afghanistan bit is that that achievement there in itself was i was the first in my trade when they'd done it to be able to be qualified so i'd paved the way to be able to you know for me i sort of i think about it now in retrospect and go oh that was pretty cool you know and and so it paved the way for other guys to come in and not just be um not qualified and sort of and do that you actually by getting qualified you actually earn that that more respect because you you've got that skill set of the guys next to you who are the shooters but they've got their, their their role and then i had my role there to be able to do it yeah, and if if I could be attached to them or needed to be able to do some of these other things, they could call on me to be able to do that and have the confidence that I'd be able to go in, yeah, and do the job. And so when we got that call with that excitement, you know, I was a I was a I was a team leader, a corporal at the time. I had my own team, and um, we I was chosen to go in with the the advanced group. So we went in, and we went in like a month or six weeks or a month early to be able to go in and set everything up because at that time you know there was only the one rotation and all the all the logistics and the infrastructure around the camp russell and, and the base there at, at tarankout was quite minimal nothing had been shipped in yet yeah so we're, especially in in that that compound uh, that particular area that we were allocated and anyway so we were in there first and you know they had the huts we helped finish build the, the accommodation and this is like this is real. This is on the base. This is on the base, and yeah. then we had all of our all of our equipment which we needed to set up. So yeah. that was like, man, this is. And did you have real. to leave the base at any stage then? To yes, yes. So once to, we had prepped everything, yeah. you know, we had uh, a couple of a couple of ones. So whoever was rotating out, they'd have a handover with the team commander. So yeah. like changing the job there and fo- sure. giving them the reports and doing all those things. So the handover. So when the main body came in, we could hit the ground running so to speak. So yeah. yes, and then and that was all, all part of, okay, yeah, once the guys get here, a couple of days of acclimatization yeah. and then it's it's mission time. Yeah. And then it was out, they call it going outside the wire. So yeah, it wasn't yeah. long or even during that, that workup phase, there was there was times there to, to familiarize ourselves with some of the things that we were going to do, we'd go outside the wire. Uh, I feel like such a soft ass asking this question because I'm, I, I, I'm, you've been there and I'm talking about what I've, seen on a doco or a Hollywood interpretation of, but is it like, you know, what's been portrayed in a lot of those movies where troops are in the Middle East and Afghanistan and Iraq, where it's, you don't know who friend or foe is. When you're in a theatre of, of war, in a, in a war zone, um, immediately, because there's this, there's this uncertainty, there's always going to be something. But dealing with terrorists and Al-Qaeda and that, that's a completely new realm. That's a different realm, but the, what you like this. I'm talking about how I'm feeling with with, with being in this zone here. Yeah. So you know, you've, there's a, the you always got you're you're kind of on edge a little bit because you never know if something's going to happen. They yeah. know they said this is what happens if there's a rocket attack on base, and we don't know when it's going to happen. You might hear this, so there's that alert, that readiness alert's always just going to be lifted a little bit more, even though you might be in what's perceived as a safe area. It might not be five yeah. min, in five minutes' time. So 
automatically you're there. So you've already got this apprehensiveness about you. So that was a very particular, um, that, that was probably one of the hardest bits there. And, and there's a, they call it orders for opening fire. So when you're out on the job and friend for the friend or foe, the, the most difficult thing there when you're fighting in that type of environment is that they don't have a uniform. That's right. They don't this have the, I mean, you yeah. can tell that the, yeah. the Afghan army had a uniform, yeah. but it was still pretty raggedy, you know, it was like the raggedy bunch, you know, type thing. And with, but for, for the insurgents or, or the, the fighters, you know, the, whoever the guys were, the, the enemy, um, let's say, and, and, um, they were wearing. I'm just a farmer. Yeah, that was I'm, that was the difficult bit there to be able to say, and, and you had to put in all this other information around in, in brain, surround that. Work the, it which out is the orders for, a, yeah, yeah. Is this happening? Am I gonna? I've got a big list of things that I need to check off yeah. to go in around it before any. They call it kinetic activity could be done. So there's a big list of stuff, and you have to go. That you know, you, they do a lot of training about one of these list of things there, and the moral codes and all these other things before you even get there yeah so you know that if there is something going on so in this example though when you you could see i'll just use a visual example without going to too much detail of, of the other stuff because that's more you know um is you'd see them as a farmer and then have the pitchfork you know you'd be on you'd be observing what they call the pattern of life okay what's going on here and then if we came into an area and you see the women and children leaving, well, you kind of know whoever's left is going to be potentially someone yeah. that could do something against you, yeah. right? Kinetic activity against you. And so you well, the women and children are gone. Okay, that's okay, but that's one check in the box. Yeah, that's right. Something here. You're running through a checklist. But then I haven't, I haven't got, I haven't got any other things there. So my particular role was to be able to um, – it was, it was electronic warfare. So I would intercept enemy communications and then also um, and, and then also interpret that and then, and then provide that in reporting to the, to the boss on the ground Yeah. Uh, along with some other things to be able to triangulate positions. Well, um, with that one there, so when, you, when you're seeing this, you might, see the, you might see the farmer on the ground, but if there was a bit of a skirmish, you might see the farmer on the ground, he goes behind the thing and then the thing he's got a gun. But the thing is, in the in Afghanistan, you can have it's legal to have Everybody's guns. Whoever, yeah, gun. It's the Wild yeah. West. Yeah. They could carry the gun. But then when there's a, an activity and there was some skirmishes, and then they, you know, you'd send guys in, they just stash their weapon and then grab the pitchfork again. Yeah. So you could be down there questioning them, and you know, there's no real thing there but you know from his from from the way that they're There's looking a whole at heap of mixed signals it's going mixed on. signals yeah, and right. you have to be really aware and, 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 and that it, was the thing about this and how journey. often andy would you be in that was well, this like a daily occurrence where your anxiety levels and you're on high i learn all the time every day I learn all the time. Yeah. You always have to be aware because, yeah. I mean, the second that you become complacent is the second that something, you know, the Murphy's Law, something can happen and will happen and yeah. at the worst possible time is just to be able to do So I think, but you, you, you have a threat, you just get used to that. You, your body gets used to it in yeah. your mind. So it's always yeah. just there. So but what it is, is, it's not calm, but it's not. I'm peeking out. It's just a heightened level of awareness that my body acclimatized to over that duration of time. And how long were you there for? I was there for, oh, I think I was there for nearly eight months the first time because the, the, the first time. time. Yeah, in 2007. Yeah. So because of the lead up time and, and then the afterwards. And you the, went back? In 2009. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, I mentioned. There was a post on Facebook. You're doing a, a talk on on post traumatic stress disorder. Yes, when you go to a to a theatre of war, you're you're exposed, especially with with our organisation. You're exposed to it's war, and and, and yeah. you, you you have what they call contacts, so battles, and then and you you might have some casualties there. And you know the first the first tour that I went on, there was there was battles and and some some casualties as well. But it wasn't until really that the second the the second tour that I did where some of the other more the not saying that not detracting from the first tour because you know there was stuff that happened there but um it, on that particular tour especially early in the tour the guys just got there we went on our first mission and it was a longer mission and um we we had you know some 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 deaths and some mass some friends casualty yes and, yes yeah. so sergeant so that was the tour that um you know um lest we forget sergeant Brett Till uh, passed away and he yeah. was he was disarming uh one of those i they call them improvised explosive devices and um 
oh, it chills. But like he, he was, he was disarming them. But then there's there's other things there that might be connected to it. And and you know he he passed away doing yeah. his job there, clearing the path for us because at that point in time uh, on that second tour, we'd been there for a couple of for for a while now. Yeah. And the enemy is also they're smart and they learn learned things there so they changed their tactics around it so a lot of the time and these guys i just i tip my hat to them had such an important job to be able to scan while the other guys in vehicles to scan the road ahead. the foot uh, scan ahead yeah with their dogs and doing that you know these guys just did an amazing job and yeah. you know unfortunately for for, for for brett you know he paid the ultimate sacrifice doing that but he also saved a, a you know a lot of lives True. In, in, with his sacrifice there and, 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 and did his part. Yeah. yeah. And so did you complete that tour? Yeah, I completed in, in that tour. That was early in the tour, John. So that, that happened was, early on. That was within only a couple of weeks and then we still had months yeah. to go. And then so during that tour, there was also a couple of other incidences that occurred. Imagine Where you was. might see um, his, you, you'll see him, he was on Survivor recently and then he's also a public speaker around around this now and he's, he's had the stories of hope, a really inspirational guy. His name Damien Tomlinson. On that tour, that's the tour that he um, he. He lost his legs yes. due to the same type of one of those insidious devices that, yeah. that ran over. And then for us as well, we ran – I was in a vehicle at the time and we ran over one of those roadside bombs. Exploded. It exploded. It pretty much ripped the car – like if it wasn't for the type of vehicle that it was that um, and its, its special properties to be able to do it, we would have – there would have been a lot more casualties. Were you injured? And yes, I, I was. Uh, I was standing on the back of the vehicle at the time, manning manning the rear gun. So I was standing up in in the hole, half yeah. of my body out, and I was holding on to the gun and and the um and the side of the, the portal. So when we ran over the bomb, which which was on the front left tire, yeah, I nearly got catapulted out. So a physical injury from that one there was more about the hearing and the and and my shoulder because I was holding onto it. And you know, it really, I would have if it wasn't for me holding onto my weapon and and that and the 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 manhole, I would have been I would have been catapulted out. And you know, don't know what what would happen, but you know, so catapulted out like a cannon, and then you know, landed on the ground somewhere. Yeah, but. For some of the guys that were inside the vehicle, did you lose men on that uh, uh, that occasion? N- no, no. Fortunately, no. But the thing is, some of them were like you know the casualties, the traumatic brain injuries, yeah. and you know it, the the impact of and violence of the force there in there. It was the the percussion with your ears, and all of a sudden it was it was black, and you know some of these guys they just got catapulted like me, but they're in the vehicle, so they've got a big steel roof. Over their heads, and they could they just smash their head, you know, sort of because the the violence of of the um, of the the blast. Yeah. And it wasn't until afterwards, you know, I was like, okay, I've got my heads. You know, people talk about um, your life flashing. I'm like, well, that didn't flash before me. I, I, all I went was from smiling, telling a joke to black. Boom. That's yeah. Oh, I'd get the- and so you still suffer from a post-traumatic stress disorder yeah uh but even after that incident that you just described like mm. you didn't uh you didn't come back to you you completed the tour yeah yeah oh, that was like i said it was you know start. what what gets me is that obviously it's the norm for people like you that had served in the military and, and you tell these amazing stories and i sit here and listen like some you know like a real kind of soft ass as i mentioned earlier and yet this is reality for thousands, tens of mm. thousands of people that serve in the military. And these stories yeah. that you're telling me, yeah. like I have no concept of what that's like. I mean, but, you know, but you've lived it. Yeah. And 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 people like you and people like you deserve the respect. And, you know, do people thank you? Like, do you talk to your friends and about the service you've done for your country and about these stories? Do you talk when, often? When they ask. I, I'll but, only, but not a lot. Not a lot. Only when they ask. And, and I've, I've, I actually use that now as part of the, the healing process there to be able to talk and not hold it in. And it took me a long time to get there. But when someone asks me to do that, I, I always get I always get thanked for my service yeah. and people appreciate it. And, you know, even with the things like speaking last year or the Anzac Day, I like the local ones because people always ask, the, you know, the, especially the young generation, and I got to got the um, opportunity to speak at the school, is just to be able to to let them know my sort of 
uh, view, but how they could go about asking some of the older guys questions that would, wouldn't set off if they had PTSD or, or whatever it is yeah. that they have is, is ask them a question to be able to see if it's okay to, to ask them about the service and more, more regarding around the medals. Where did you serve and do this instead of, hey, did you kill anyone? And yeah. Did you have the big gun? Because that's, I mean, you know, that's quite a direct question straight away and a very personal question Yeah. when, you, when you've served it on a tour. And, and so um, having survived these things there, you know, I, I do, I've got an amazing support network now. Can, media, can I ask you about that? I mean, we, we all know the stories about the returned and soldiers after like Vietnam yep. and there was no, I mean, soldiers were spat on in the streets. Oh, it's, it's. Uh, has that imp- I have some stories from when I was at the ABC from from fathers of um, of sons that had served overseas, and some have uh, had had struggled with the kind of support they got from the military, having returned home. What's your experience been? Oh, mine. There's a lot of support out there. Good support. There, there, there is good support out yeah. there. But I think. Um, and that was paved, that paved the way by the veteran, you know, by the Vietnam vets when they didn't have anything. So they set up these processes to be able to do it. And then over time, they, you know, it, it's developed into all these different things that are that are out there now. But I think where where it is lacking is sometimes in in the in creating the awareness and the marketing towards being able to say, well, these things are out there, and these are the things that you could do. But it might not just be a military based one. It might be okay. Well, someone's not quite ready for that here are some other initiatives that people might be able to do now um, to be able to, to cope, have coping yeah. mechanisms around it, around having their PTSD and managing. And you still talk about it. As I said, the, the, I saw the post on Facebook the other week. And so you, you still talk to other uh, vets or return soldiers about your experience? And uh yeah but yeah so before when i when i uh, first had my symptoms of ptsd it was a lot harder to be able to I'll talk about yeah, it much sure. more openly now but i've got you know my for me i'm more attuned with if i talk about certain things that my my body elevation goes up or yeah, i get yeah, anxious yeah. then i'll just back it off or <sighs> take a breath and yeah. have these other coping mechanisms that a lot of guys don't have when when you know if they haven't sort of seen anyone um, it's, it took a very long time to be able to do it and I'll put in, the, and, and second most to be able to put in the work to do it after acknowledging there was something yeah. that needed to be addressed. And that's yeah. the main one, John, is that, you know, the, a return soldier or even, or even a, um, an emergency service or a first responder, they're all. Sure. So what, if, if I, if I they, may. They deal with the same. Yeah, they, yeah. A traumatic incident is a traumatic incident. And in my case, it was the military. So um, there's other there's other tra- uh, jobs out there where people will be exposed to traumatic events. And I use the first responders who do an amazing job to, to be able to do that. And then so the symptoms of of, of that trauma are exactly the same to be able to, 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 be able to um, cope with and, and to be able to talk about. Yeah. So when you're in this, if you're experiencing these things there and you acknowledge I need to be, you know, having a group support network there to start off with is, is great. Yeah. But then there's other things out there once you've sort of gotten past that stage and you put in a lot of the work to be able to, in those sessions, and that's what's really stressed and important about it is putting the work in those sessions to be able to move forward and then, and then accept that, I need to create a lifestyle around now managing my symptoms there. Yeah. You know, um, which is, which is why I, for me now, I get a lot of things being able to, if I can connect my story with being able to post, post military. So there's people that talk about that service there. And sometimes if they ask specific questions, that's one, but my, now I, for me, I find it more talking about the post and what I did, acknowledging my PTSD and what's out there, family, friends and support networks and initiatives, that helps me now manage my own PTSD. Yeah, moving forward. Acknowledging moving that, forward. That, that this is the... I'm sorry that we spent so, so much time on that, but... That's I, like, no, that's I, okay. I really, I'm, I'm happy to talk about I really about respect that. what you've done and I, yeah. and I just think that, that I, I just wanted you to tell your story about it and yeah. thank you for, for sharing those stories. What do you do now? I was really confused when I first got out of the army, uh, but uh, you know, so w- when that had happened, I'd, I hadn't really been fully diagnosed with my PTSD yet, so I, I discharged. And um, I thought, well, you know, I'm 
what am I going to do now? Yeah. So I just went out there and, and uh, I was I think I was watching one of the, the TV cooking shows at the time and I'm like competition shows. I'm like, oh, I'm a self-taught cook. I'm going to go and um, I'm going to go and give that a go. So Did you? I was living in Sydney, yeah, yeah. And then so I got out of the army on the Thursday, <laughs> wrote my, my resume and then I went out there and I went to all the three chef hat restaurants in Sydney at the time that I knew that I was watching on these shows. Oh, I went yeah. to I went to Tetsuya's, I went to Aria, I went to um, Guillaume and Benelong. Looking for a gig. Looking for a gig. <laughs> and then I hadn't, I just got the, I was just I caught the bus because it was easier to walk around there in Sydney. I got home, I got a call from um, from, from Tetsuya's. Hey man, we've looked at your CV, you know. Um, it's, you're like a Casey Ryback. If, I don't know if you remember the, the movie Under Siege there where the guy was a cook, but he was a chef. And he yes. was a, anyway, so I was like, he goes, hey, Casey Ryback. I'm like, oh yeah, okay, well, um, can we come in for a trial? And yeah. so I'm like, okay, this is fantastic opportunity. I'm going to go in in this uh, and so I went in on the Friday, Yeah, did my trial and he said, well, can you come in on, on the Tuesday now? You know, I was just looking for a mature age apprenticeship where I didn't yeah. really have to think too much. I'm just yeah. happy to learn something new and, and be told, but you know, with, with the skills that I had, or I hadn't really, one hadn't had the time to, to decompress from the environment I was in, you know, I was working with a lot of amazing, amazing people with some awesome skill sets and also a lot of alpha males as well because it, it's a, it was a in kitchen. Interview. And then I was in the, went to, from that environment to the kitchen, you know, it was, you know, I was like, what's going on here? Lots of, so lots of yelling. Yeah. Lots of, <laughs> lots of yelling. I'm like, Oh, hold on a second. I just got out of lots of yelling. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and now yes, I'm being chef. yelled again. Yeah. yeah. We chef, we chef, yes, chef. You yeah. know, but, um, you know, and then the knife and knife type thing. So I was, uh, I was grateful for the opportunity, but I just really wasn't ready for it. Like they took those skills at the time and said, hold on a second, this guy's got some other ones. I mean, he's going to be a mature age apprentice, but let's employ some of these other ones yeah. for him to do it. So I ended up being on a station where it was the first course in the meal. So, and I had two other apprentices, no, I had one other apprentice there with me and then someone over overseeing me that was qualified, but he had some other tasks. So it was just me and this other bloke. Yeah. And then they had me coming in in the morning and taking stock of all the orders and, and bringing everything in. And then I was on soups and all these things that took a long time. And then, you know, I wasn't fin finishing work. I was starting really early and, and not finishing at night. So I was, a, you know, a bit of a zombie, but I was avoid. But the the point I'm getting to is that I was avoiding. I, I was happy to do that because I was just avoiding having to think about. Yeah, what it took was your it, mind off. Took yeah, my mind right, off right. thinking about other things, you yeah. know. And so by keeping myself busy, I was. But it was it wore me down pretty quickly because I was doing so many hours. Yeah, and it wasn't until that stage there where. I was, you know, my my uh, my now wife Claire. She, you know, we were we were still planning our wedding and all this, and and so she was she was a real champion about you know all the hours there, and we knew that I was I was like suffering this yeah, you know, yeah. symptoms, which is PTSD. But she was really cool about it, you know. So every time I had the day off, I was still a zombie from from working so late, and I'd get up and she'd have some sort of activity. It's like we were dating, you know. It was like the just a date every single time that was yeah. fun. So she had that, but. I realized sometimes there was I was there doing these cool activities, but I, I was present, but I wasn't quite you present. You weren't really, yeah. And then I was also I'd find myself sort of having these conversations with her, and then all of a sudden, I'd just stop talking yeah. and and then be elsewhere. So I think part of that and some of the other things, other symptoms, which which led me to do this, you know, that it took me a long time yeah. to really before I even acknowledged. Um, that there was something that needed to... You need to rectify. Can I ask you a question? Work. you got two kids. Yeah. Two boys? No, yeah. one boy, one, one girl. One boy. Well, even a girl, actually. I was being sexist then. But if either of your kids come to you and say, and say um, they want to join the military, mm -hmm. what what would your answer be? i say, if you want to join the military, you could go on, right? You could do whatever. We will support you in whatever job that you choose to do. You know, and, and, and having served in the military... Because for me, I'll, it was it was... It was the most rewarding career that I've had, even post-military yeah. until this this new project that I'll be doing. Yeah. You know, sort of, I think that it gave me that sense of purpose, the camaraderie. I loved the job. Yeah. I loved what I was doing, you know. And then I was, for me, I was, I, was, I was at the top of my game working with the best people doing the best stuff there. But, you know, after after a while, my priorities changed and then also had the, the PTSD. Yeah. But that 
particular time but in you, my life. You were totally engaged in that role. Oh, yeah, and, I loved and it. I could tell from when you, you loved it from the start. And yeah. the, and, and it was it was a really cool lifestyle. But, you yeah. know, sort of when, when your priorities changed, I'd, I'd, I'd met Claire just before my second tour and, and, you know, sort of I was in a relationship with her. You know, all these, my priorities started changing from just being about just me because I was, it was just focused on that for, yeah. during my career. There's other people to consider now. Yeah, the, yeah, you know, there's some other people there. You know, I, even even my relationships, I, I didn't have a long term relationship. I was always just more about, okay, when are we going to be doing this there and that, and then um, I really couldn't hold a, a relationship there because I was just so focused more no. on my work. And but when I met Claire, oh, well, that was totally different. And then my focus changed, and you know, and she she changed my life as well. And and I wanted to be able to grow that. Yeah. So um, I suppose. Now, you know, looking back on that, that's that gave me that sense of purpose. And back to your question, so if my son Phoenix said, oh, daddy, I want to be in the army, I go, mate, that was a real yeah, – if you want to, absolutely. I support you. I support you. That, yeah, but yeah. but know that there's these these things that, you know, there's other challenges of. besides all the cool stuff. Yeah, you know? yeah, um, yeah. I understand what you're saying. You're saying, yeah. you know, that it's going to take a toll on your relationships. Yeah, it's going it can to, do – all, all those the, other things there, but I don't want to tell him that right now. I think he's, he's still sick. <laughs> no, no, no. no. I, I was just curious <laughs> yeah. as to what your your yeah. perception and – Yeah, oh, look, you, I mean, he's he, he'll have his choice there down the track. And if he yeah. says it to me as a six-year-old, he's thinking of it. Oh, daddy used to jump out of plane. Yeah, he's only thinking of one aspect of that life. Well, yeah, that those, yeah, those really right. cool, cool things. Yeah. Hey, I really appreciate you coming in, Andy. Um, oh, thanks for having and, me and again. sharing some of those stories. And I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's. I really have, like I said, a great respect for people that that have done and do the kind of job that you have. And I, I don't think people like yourself are thanked enough by the Australian public for dedicating your life to military service. And what you said earlier about, you know, you're so conditioned that when the orders come, it's, it's, it's do without question, isn't it? And it's. You, I'm doing my job. Yeah, you're just I'm doing only, your job. I'm that's doing right. Job I mean, that's, and making sure, and, and, and that, and that's how it's operate. And that how it operate. And that's how you're trained. Yeah. And that's just how it is. And that's, yeah. Uh, and then also as well, John, if I may, in, in closing there as well, when when you're in there, you're doing doing your job is the one aspect, but it's about your immediate your immediate team first. Yeah. Then then the platoon on your company that you're with, and then the military. And then the job, you know, so it's it's out there, and, and like the job is, is is that bit there. But when you're when you're in that environment, you want to make sure that you're you all of you come back in one piece, and you're always looking out for your mate and doing yeah. the best there to make sure that they come back safely as well, besides yourself, and and then do the job as well. So that's that's something that I also wanted to be able to redirect because those those guys were really. You know, and whoever's still serving at the moment, I've got so much respect for now. So big shout out to them. <laughs> Andy Fermo there. He was my guest today on Conversations in Noosa. And if you enjoyed that and you think there are elements of that podcast that might be relatable to a friend or a family member, share the podcast about on your social media channels. And don't forget to rate and review if you've listened or streamed via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher or Wooshka. We'd really uh, appreciate uh, your review and your rating for this particular podcast. Until next time, take care.